Hello, I'm James George and welcome to Life in Football, the podcast that interviews top professionals working in different fields within our beautiful game. If you love football and dream about working full-time in sport, or if you're just a little bit nosy, then you've come to the right place. This week I'm joined by Will Cope, sports reporter, commentator and sports journalism course leader at Solent University. I met Will working at Southampton Football Club's former radio station The Saint back in 2003. Will's gone on to have a very successful career in sports media and you'll often see stroke hear him on Soccer Saturday, Football League Show and Talk Sport. Hi Will, how's things with you? Really good James, how are you? I'm really good, thank you. So... We obviously met at a radio station, so Hanson Football Club's radio station. You have done a million different jobs since then, <laughs> but what are you currently up to now these days? Yeah, it's been a real roller coaster. There's no two ways about it. Um, if I think back to my time as a sports journalist over the last 22 years, um, it's been um, it, it's been eventful. That is for sure. Uh, as you say, we first met when I was working for. Um, a Southampton radio station. Um, it was a station that was owned by the football club and we were housed within the St Mary's Stadium. It's not there anymore, um, but uh, that was a real fun time. I was doing um, live radio commentary of Saints. I did that between 2003 and 2010. Um, I also, whilst I was working there, got involved in teaching sports journalism, audio, presenting, editing, interviewing, script writing, that sort of stuff, at Solent University in Southampton. So I was doing that for a couple of years before um, I left working for the football club full-time. Um, and um, around about 2011, an opportunity for me to join the staff at Solent University full-time came up. I applied for it. Uh, they offered me the job and, and I took it. So um, whereas I, I started, if you like, being a, a freelancer or what they call in academia, an associate lecturer, a part-time lecturer, if you like, um, that became a full-time role. And that's what I've been doing as my main salaried work for the last um, 10, 11 years. Alongside that, I've still been very active as a, as a sports journalist, um, predominantly on the broadcasting side of things, TV and radio doing commentaries, audio commentaries, TV commentaries. Um, I started working for, for Sky Sports in 2008 um, for their match choice commentary, uh, Premier League commentaries. I've done Football League commentaries for Sky subsequently, worked for Soccer Saturday, both in vision and non-vision. Um, and um, the majority of the work that I do now is I work commentating on the on the football league the EFL so championship league one and league two um, for uh, a program that goes out on Sky Sports on the EFL uh, EFL channel on Sky Sports it also goes to ITV it used to be um, Quest before that it was Channel 5 before that it was BBC so the production um, has, has, has continued but the platform has changed over the years uh, but this year it started with ITV um, uh, and, um, and, and that's a really big production um, involving many, many people, lots of commentators, lots of reporters. Um, and that's done off tube from uh, Stockley Park. People know about Stockley Park because that's where VAR is housed. It's also where IMG are housed and IMG are the broadcast 
partner of the Premier League overseas and the broadcast partner of the Football League domestically. So they're a big, big organisation with lots and lots of sport being produced. It's a fabulous place to work. The people are amazing. The opportunities are off the scale. You do a good job um, and, and, and the work keeps coming. And, and that's, that's, that's what I've been doing um, most recently up to and including this season. So what does your working week look like? I know we were just chatting and you're going back to university as a lecturer next week and you're preparing for that. So once that starts, are you working Monday to Friday on that and then one evening a week you're doing football and then every Saturday you're doing football? How does your normal week look like? Yeah, it's um, it's an interesting one, James, actually, because the, the normal week, well, there is no such thing as a normal week, really. Um, but the pattern of the week really is that, yes, um, Monday to Friday, my work is, my, my, my primary focus, if you like, is, is at Solent University. I'm the course leader, uh, so I'm overall responsible for all the people that teach on the course and indeed the students. So um, I'm the course leader and senior lecturer of the sports journalism undergraduate degree and the master's in sports broadcast journalism. So we have uh, many, many students. We have anywhere between sort of 50 and 60 students per year group. So when you add a master's level on top of that as well, you know, you're responsible for knocking on 200 students um, and, and, and lecturers. So it's, it's demanding. Um, it's uh, pretty full on. Um, but it's great fun. Um, until you start working in the the world of uh, teaching or, or lecturing or whatever it might be whether it's a further education whether it's a higher education a you don't often know how much you know uh, but b you don't often understand how rewarding it is to be able to pass on knowledge to the next generation and the great thing is is that a it keeps you young young in mind i mean i'm not exactly past it but i you know I am in my mid 40s now, um, uh, but it keeps you young in mind. It keeps you young in body. And it also makes you um, aware of the new trends that are coming, um, the new things that um, younger people are into. Um, you know, we adapt what we teach because of the platforms that the students and young people are interested in getting their information from. You know, when I first started teaching um, audio skills, essentially, to first years back in 2007. November 2007 was the first class that I did. There was no such, well, there was a thing as Facebook, but no one really knew about it. Twitter yep. hadn't been invented. People didn't really know what social media was. You know, we were still talking in those days about things like MySpace and Bebo, for those people that remember that sort of stuff. And I, I remember at my journalism degree, we were doing everything on Minidisc. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely right. Well, you know, um, Minidisc obviously went out. Um, everything is, is, is fully digital. You know, the, the things that people have in their pockets, phones, you know, they're shooting audio on it, uh, shooting video on it, they're recording audio on it. You know, they're better than a, a full-blown studio. So I don't need to spend hours and hours and hours talking about that. But the, the, the role changes because the industry changes, because the technology changes, because the platforms change. And, you know, you only need to look at major broadcasters now. If you take two in this country, in the BBC 
and Sky, if you look at their sports output, more and more stuff is being pushed to social, more and more stuff is being filmed in a different way. They are trying to engage with younger and younger audiences because, you know, with respect, you and I, you know, we, we, we know where to go and get our stuff. Um, that's not to say that the younger generation don't, but if major broadcasters don't embrace what younger people want and the lifestyle and the, and, and, and the trends that they are involved in and, and engaged with, then they lose out. And broadcasters are hell-bent on making sure that they continually um, feed their information into the younger generations. You know, people in their 40s, 50s, 60s, they've been captured. You know, they know to go if they want their news at 10 o'clock on the BBC. They know if they want to go and get their sports news, they go to sports news or whatever. You know, we, we, we've grown up doing this and we've grown up being used to these sorts of trends. But to be able to engage the next generation, they've got to be continually redeveloping what it is they're doing and, and, and re-establishing themselves. So it, it, it's fascinating. The world of journalism, the world of sports journalism is a fascinating, ever-evolving world. So you're doing that Monday to Friday and then are you having how many other days of the week and evenings and weekends are you working on the sport? Well, it's kind of as and when needed almost every Saturday. Um, often a Tuesday or a Wednesday night as well. There's a lot of football, as I'm sure you're well aware, across the Football League um, and um, Football League competitions. Um, so there's, there's there's plenty of work there. Um, we have a good group of, of, of commentators. So it's on a basically on a rotor basis. You tell people when you're available. Um, and if they want you, they, they, they sort of hire you. So um, I, I, I try to... You know, I have some weekend duties in terms of things like open days and recruitment events for the university, which is usually one one weekend a month or one Saturday a month. Um, I try to also spend time with my family at weekends. So you've got to, you know, I have a young family, so you've got to balance up that um, wanting to, to work in the industry, being relevant, um, uh, continuing to practice what you're very good at, or I, I like to think I'm very good at. Um, and but also having the opportunity to, you know, recharge, uh, refresh yourself, um, spend time with the family, you know, uh, do stuff with them. Um, uh, so it is it, it's a it's, it's a balancing act, but it's um, I think I pretty much I think I pretty much get it spot on. So two or three weekends a month, I'll be involved in uh, usually two commentary maybe one midweek um and then maybe one open day recruitment activity as well with the university which then so actually as i say that in my head that really only leaves one weekend for the family doesn't it but um i've got a very very understanding wife and very understanding children that know that um uh what what daddy does is is, is good fun um and um and let's be honest uh in these days where uh, energy bills are going up and everything else, um, a few extra quid in your back pocket doesn't go too far wrong either. So what careers are people looking for generally when they start your sports journalism degree? Yeah, it's interesting. If you if you go back sort of five, ten years, almost everybody came to start a sports journalism degree wanting to be uh, a writer, basically. That's what they thought. They thought, I want to be involved in um, writing for a, a newspaper, a magazine, uh, a website, that sort of stuff. 
again, over the last 10 years or so, that's evolved. Now more and more people want to be um, presenters. They want to have um, uh, a prominent social channel. Um, I'm not saying they come to because they want to be social influencers or anything like that, but they understand the concept of making their content um, appealing. Um, so uh, there's a lot of people that like the idea of, of, of producing content on, on social media channels. There's a lot of people actually that are very keen to work behind the scenes, are less concerned about being in front of camera. Clearly, there's always some people that love the idea of presenting. Um, but it has very much changed more from sort of a writing base to a content creation base. Um, and, you know, we have discussions sometimes at the university about, well, what is journalism? Do, do people actually understand what a journalist is and what journalism is? Um, and, you know, we've, we've said, well, maybe we should call our degrees things like sports content creation, for example. You know, would that help people understand um, and be more interested in what it is that they're um, learning. Um, because ultimately, I mean, that is what we do. We, we, we create content, whatever content that is, whether it's the written word, whether it's the spoken word, whether it's video, um, you know, whether it's something like this, a podcast, whether it's a social short, whether, whether it's an um, infographic, um, whether it's a, you know, 800 words on a website, we are creating content. We're taking things that are fact and we are producing content around it and that's sometimes what you have to sort of have to break it down for, for people and you say okay yes of course Jamie Carragher or Gary Neville can talk can give their opinion on whether or not the defender should have picked up Harry Kane in the box okay that's opinion and they're talking from a, a position of experience but to be able to get there you've got to wind it back and and, and what is essentially unequivocal what is factually correct and cannot be changed is the fact that the ball went in the box Harry Kane jumped up the 61st minute and buried the ball in the back of the net that's fact everything else around it is packaging it's fluff it's um, you know it, it, it's bows and, 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 and wrapping paper the, 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 the thing that we love about sports journalism is there's so much content to be able to digest around a single fact of one nil to Tottenham, Harry Kane score in the 61st minute. So um, uh, that getting people used to the idea of creating content around something is, 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 a, is a hugely enjoyable and interesting thing. What a lot of students that start the degree don't necessarily understand straight away is that people generally don't really care what that person thinks about Harry Kane's goal until such time as you've played 500 games for Liverpool or 60-odd times for England or whatever. So you've got, to, you've got to wind it back a little bit, understand the basics, understand the foundation of where it is you're coming from, bring in this, bring in that, layer it up, and then hopefully by the end of a three-year undergraduate degree or four-year if you include a master's degree as well, you have the understanding to be able to put these interesting bits and pieces together and create content that people want to be able to digest. So let's take it back to the beginning and how, how you got into the media yourself. Did you go to university and study a journalism degree? Y yes, I went to university, but no, I didn't study a journalism degree. So I went, back, I went to university in the mid-1990s uh, to the University of Manchester. 
And um, when I was applying to go to university, I was I had an idea that I wanted to be a journalist, but I didn't necessarily know that that's what it was going to be. So what I thought was I wanted to do a degree. I wanted to go to university and do a degree that would keep me engaged, make me want to get up in the morning, get my sorry ass out of bed and get into lectures, basically. Um, and I always had a real interest in American history, American politics, American sociology. Um, uh, the I had uh, I loved the idea that there was this country that basically you know 250 years ago was nothing, and built up into you know a global superpower. Um, so I was fascinated about the journey, the very very quick journey, and 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 the bumps in the road that the American society had had. So. I did a degree in American studies, which was the study of American history, literature, politics, sociology, the whole kit and caboodle. I was very lucky that I went to a very, very good university in the University of Manchester, um, a fantastic American studies department. And part of my degree is I spent one year studying in the States um, at Rutgers, which is the State University of New Jersey. Um, met some amazing people. Um, did some amazing things. New York was my playground for the best part of the year as a 2021 year old, uh, which, as you can imagine, was fantastic. With a British um, accent, you enjoyed yourself. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely right. And um, and whilst I was there, I had the opportunity to get involved in the college radio station. Um, I'd always loved listening to radio growing up. You know, in Sheffield um, in the 80s and 90s, I always listened to the radio. The radio was always on in the house. Used to love listening to sports commentary on the radio on Hallam FM in Sheffield and BBC Radio Sheffield, Praise and Grumble, which was the uh, show after the five o'clock, uh, uh, five o'clock after the full-time matches. I used to love, love, love the radio. So I had this opportunity to get involved. And me and a friend, another British guy, got involved in WRSU FM, which was the college radio station in uh, uh, in New Brunswick, um, and it was amazing, absolutely amazing. You know, properly got a bug for it. Uh, we just used to prat around. You know, if you can remember back to the days of 90s radio in Britain, Chris Evans, people like that, Johnny Vaughan, just mucking around on the radio. Yeah, yeah just and, doing anything you wanted. There was yeah, no rules and regulations. Yeah. No rules, no rules. And we just, we played music, we played British music that was very popular at the time that the American audience hadn't necessarily heard of because this is early internet days. Um, you know, we played a lot of Inspiral Carpets and, and Happy Mondays and um, and um, Oasis and Blur and, um, you know, the Smiths, the Charlatans, um, Cast, all this sort of stuff. Um, uh, real sort of Britpop, but also indie, that sort of, and, and, and it, it, you know, it, it went down a, a real storm. So I did that for a year and then came back to Manchester and said, right, I love this idea. I want to do more of this. So I wrote for the, the, the college newspaper. I got involved in other different things. And, and, and when I um, graduated a year after that, I said, right, well, I, a media career is what I want to do. So I started writing off to, to radio stations to get work experience. Um, and within a few weeks, was offered some work experience. And, 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 and that was it. I literally went in knowing nothing about how to be a journalist um, I'd done some presenting, but it was college radio and we were basically mucking around. But I knew nothing about the nuts and bolts of how to write a script, for example, what a bulletin was, how to construct a bulletin, where to get news feeds from, all this sort of stuff. Um, and learnt it on the job, 
you know, was invited to come in for one week. At the end of the week, I said, can I come back next week? And they, they said, do you know what? Yeah, we've enjoyed having you around. You've been useful. You've learned a lot. Come back next week. One week turned into two, two into four, four into eight. By the end of eight weeks, they'd got me on air recording bulletins. Um, and that enabled me to be able to have a demo tape back in the days of tape. Um, and I remember um, very, very distinctly going into the studio and recording seven of these tapes. I put them into jiffy bags, stuck them in the post and waited for someone to get back to me. I just bought a thing called a mobile phone. I had my first mobile phone, so I very, very proudly put my mobile phone number in the top of my CV and said, if you're interested, give me a call and blow me down. Literally two days later, I got that. I remember vividly I was cycling. I was riding down the uh, road to get a pint of milk from the shop and my mobile phone went. And this was unprecedented because only two people had my number. And um, uh, and one of them was my then girlfriend, now wife. And I knew she wouldn't be calling me because she was in work. And um, yeah, and this person rang me and said, hey, why don't you come and have a chat about working at our radio station? And the rest, as they say, was history. Went, had a chat. They like me. I like them. Uh, and I got a job. I think when I met you originally at the Saint, you were just reading the news. That was your your main role. You weren't doing the football commentary when I first met you. How did you go from basically being an all round news reporter to actually being a, you know a specialist in football and being a football commentator? Yeah, well, I, actually, I yeah, I, I joined I joined Saint in the May of two thousand and three. I literally joined. The, year the, we, that, the, the funny thing the, is, the, we the, joined at the same time, and it was the FA Cup final, which was just an incredible right. experience to go through. That's right, hundred um, percent. I joined the week of the cup final, um, so I joined on the Monday. The cup final was on the on, on the Saturday, um, and my first job would have been. Had they won, I'd have been the reporter on the uh, on the top deck of the open top. Funny thing is, I was due to do it with you on that yes. exact day. I had got yes. a job at TalkSport a few months before, and they said to me, do you want to work this Sunday if we reach the cup? And I was like, yeah. And I remember all that week, I got to interview all the Saints players, and it, that was one of the most incredible weeks. Being a Southampton fan, obviously you're a Sheffield United fan, so it was yeah. an amazing experience for you from a career point of view. For me, it was a career point of view and my own football team making a cup final. So yeah. it's fine. I remember I, I thought you'd been there a little bit beforehand. I didn't realise we literally started the same day at yeah. the same. Yeah, yeah. Um, it li- it literally was that you know that week. Um, and at the time, um, the radio station had a commentator, James Haddock, who actually went on and worked for for Sky as a reporter. Um, first in football, then in golf, um, and and James was their commentator, and James left that summer. So on the back of the cup final, he did the cup final commentary, and then he left. And I had done some reporting um, for a radio station in Bournemouth. Um, although I'm originally from the north, grew up in Sheffield, Sheffield United supporter, as you say, went to University of Manchester. I'd moved down to the south coast. And was um, had been given an opportunity to do some reporting, first of all for Salisbury City when I was working at Spire FM in in Salisbury, and then um, AFC Bournemouth when I was working at 
what was then called 2CRFM in Bournemouth. It's funny. We've, I, I've worked at 2CRFM as well. It's yeah. funny. We've got an up from Salisbury. So similar paths. Yeah. There you go. There you are. Um, and, um, and so I, I'd loved doing that. And I'd done match reports and I'd done live updates from the ground for a couple of years, but I hadn't done a commentary. I'd done commentaries off tube, kind of recorded them to myself, but I hadn't done a live commentary. But anyway, the um, fast forward to the summer of 2003 and the, the radio station was looking for a, a commentator. And I said, well, I'll do it. So, you know, so often in life, it's right place, right time. An opportunity comes up, um, particularly in journalism, particularly in sports journalism, um, if you are in the office at the time. And they said, well, well, hold on a minute. Have you done it? And I said, well, this is what I've done before. You know, I can play you this. I can play that. Okay, okay. That's, that's, yeah, that, that's good. You know, should we, should we do, so I did some pre-season friendlies um, that summer. Um, I was, 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 was good, was fine, was, was acceptable, whatever. Um, I listen back to some of them now and uh, cringe a little bit. But hey, you know, you, you only know what you know at the time. Um, but um, so I, I, I literally started my first league game um, was Leicester 2, Southampton 2 in August of 2003. Um, that was my full first full live audio commentary. Um, Kevin Phillips scored an absolute worldie at the end. I remember to, now. That was um, about his only goal he scored for us as well. Yes, yeah, yeah. right. Um, in a in a two uh, two two draw. Um, I remember vividly after that game as well. Actually, going down to do some interviews, and um, my, one of my boyhood heroes, Brian Dean, being a Sheffield United fan, Brian Dean was coming towards the end of his career at Leicester City at the time. He hadn't been involved that day, but he was downstairs milling around, and I just literally opened this door, and there was Brian Dean, and I, and I just went, oh, 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 hello, hello, Brian, and he kind of looked at me as though to say. Who are you and why are you standing there all open mouthed? Um, uh, but but there you go. And that, that so that was a real sort of moment of like, oh my goodness me, what is it I'm doing here? Um, um, but uh, but but that was that 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 was my baptism of fire, and I had um, I that was the first of seven seasons that I I did at Saints, um, um, commentating on on Saints right through. So years in the Premier League, years in the Championship, um, right down until they got relegated into into League One. At that time, a bit of a perfect storm of um, radio stations were reeling from the economic downturn. Advertising was down, budgets were down, radio stations were basically buying each other out and 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 um, grouping output to save money, save costs. Um, it was quite a difficult time for the radio industry at that time, actually, sort of late noughties, early tens. I know um, it was because I tried to get into the industry at the really at the time when things went downhill. Back in the day, they would stick you on the graveyard shift and give anyone a chance. And then it got to the point where you were going for a job and some guy who just had a breakfast show at another radio station was going for the same job as you. It was a really tough time in the radio it industry. It was, absolutely right. And, and a lot of people perhaps forget that or don't appreciate that. You know, the commercial radio in, in the 90s, 80s, uh, 90s and, and, and early noughties rode the, the crest of a really, really good wave. Uh, lots of money being pumped into commercial radio, particularly in the South and the Southeast, you know, relatively big budgets, not huge budgets, but good budgets, 
being able to employ lots of people, lots of opportunity. Um, and that was still there in the early noughties, but then sort of declined. And certainly, as I say, by the time we had the economic, the global economic downturn in 08 and 09 and, and 10, that, that was tough. It was a, it was a tough time. Um, but honestly, I mean, we had, we, we had, we had great fun, really, really good fun. Certainly the first two years when Saints were in the Premier League, uh, again, riding the crest of a wave, the pre-social media days when players would, 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 would go out in their local town, you know, after a match, uh, some of the stories, the bars, the clubs, you know, it was, it was a great, great time. It was a great time to follow a team that, punched above its weight, did well, um, uh, managed to, to snare some, some some good scalps along the way. Oh, we had a riot. We had a good, good time. And, and there was no better place to work in Southampton than the football club. So obviously you're helping people get careers like yourself, you know, to have a career like yourself. So in your opinion, is if someone wants to go into sport, we had Lee Clayton, who's head of Talk Sport now, come on the show and he didn't go down the degree route. You know, he literally started at 16 working, uh, you, know, new, you know, national newspapers and then working his way up to being head of sport at the Daily Mail and now head of talk sport. So there's different pathways that you can go to working in sport. But do you feel as though, the, you know, that you've got a better chance if you get a sports journalism degree? What would be your advice to aspiring teenagers trying to, have a career either commentating or written journalism or anything you know in the media in sport. Yeah, it's 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 a good question, James. And and to be honest with you, there is no right answer. Um, if you want to go to university, and 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 that is set in your mind, you know you want to experience that. You want to have that life experience, and you have a good idea that you want to be a sports journalist. Then I would say. Um, a degree in sports journalism is is a good thing to do. It's not essential, but it's a good thing to do. More and more, however, if you want to get a graduate level job, so by that I mean, you know, lower management or management level job or a, or a good steady job in the industry, almost all adverts that you see for posts say, um, an educate um, a university degree or equivalent experience. So that sort of tells you that to be able to get your foot in the door these days, you need a, a, a university degree. You don't necessarily need to do a journalism degree or a sports journalism degree, but you need to do a degree. Why is the, is, is the obvious question. Well, what a university degree does show an employer is that you have the ability to learn, take on board feedback, work to time restrictions, work to, to tight deadlines, deal with pressure, deal with um, uh, learning things in a new environment whilst being away from it. All these sorts of life skills you experience through going through university. So the employer, if you like, doesn't need to work at that stuff because you've already been trained. It doesn't necessarily matter what the subject area is, so long as you show a, a can-do attitude, an ability to get your ass out of bed, basically, in the morning, be reliable, be responsible, be dedicated, be engaged, all the things that you learn over the course of a three-year or four-year undergraduate degree. 
So an employer has someone that is, is ready. Now, the individual skills can be learned on the job. There's no two ways about it. But if you do a sports journalism degree, then that often, if it's a sports journalism role, puts you up the pecking order. Because our degree, certainly at Solent University and many other degrees, um, we make it mandatory that you have work experience alongside your degree. So basically what it means is you're coming out the end of this three-year cycle, having learned the skills, you know how to write, you know what a good top line is, you're editing, you're interviewing, your presenting skills are pretty good, you can turn around some good social media content, you've shown your ability to be able to engage, work to deadlines, all these sorts of things, work individually and as part of a small group. Plus, you also know what makes good sports journalism content. So you can go to an employer like TalkSport, like Sky Sports, like the BBC, like ITV, like um, the Daily Mail, whatever it is, and say, hey, look, this is me. This is what I've done. I'm really interested in sport, first and foremost. I get what makes good content, be that written or audio or video or whatever. I know how to work because I've showed, look at my grades. Also, as part of my degree, I, I was asked to go and work experience. So I've had a week at TalkSport. I've had a work week at The Times. I've had a week working for you know, Gimme Sport or whatever, or Snack Media, or whatever, whatever it is, wherever it is. I've put in the hard yards. I am ready for this. Employ me because I'm ready. And that's a really, really attractive thing for any employer. So I'd go even further than that and say that even though it's great that you know as part of degrees you do work experience I had that and my work experience was at the saint but I when I was 19 sent you know a I probably was a tape back then to loads of uh loads of radio stations and talk sport employed me in my second year in university and I and I would work I probably you know probably did two shifts a week at talk sport the whole time and, and had a paid job my advice to everyone would actually be don't just do that week or two's work experience, but put yourself out there. And and at a moment, I'm actually, uh, being a football agent, I'm going to millions of different games. And often I'm trying to keep up to date with the other players who are playing different games at different times. The amount of football clubs that don't have a media department, especially at the lower levels, you know, if they've got an under 21s or an under 18s, they don't have anyone. There are so many opportunities out there. Anyone that wants to get into sport, contact your local football clubs and ask them. All right, well, first of all, just look on Twitter, right? And find out if they've got someone covering games. So many levels don't have someone covering their games properly. And you can just go out there and be their social media correspondent, right? And, and, and just be at games, tweeting for them the latest goals and all of that. Then what will often happen is what happened to Will, which is right place, right time. Okay, football commentators left. Can anyone do this job? And then you'll suddenly find yourself in an amazing opportunity. But I think often people go to university because they feel as though they have to, um, because of society says that if you are reasonably educated, you should go to university. And that's how you get a job eventually but what they do is, is they go to university and then they finish university and go okay I should be able to get a job now I've got my degree and they don't do the hard work necessarily to put themselves in a good position and I think the people that do really well in life are the people like yourself who went and did a load of extra work experience on top of it and and just trying to open as many doors as you can that would be me my advice to people use a degree as a stepping stone we both did it we got 
you know, TalkSport probably never would have given me the opportunity at the time if I didn't message them and say, I'm actually currently doing a journalism degree. I would love to be able to come and work for you guys. A degree definitely helps me get through that door. It does. I, yeah. I agree with that. Yeah. But I think you've got to also do more than just get a degree, which I think some people make that mistake. Yeah. And, and you're quite right, James, you know, uh, more and more, particularly in the last 20 years, uh, there has been sort of a societal push to everyone to go to university. University is not right for everybody. There's no two ways about it. But as you quite rightly say, what it does do is it it gives you a, a set of life skills, but what you, you, and you're quite right. What you must remember is that you're graduating from a sports journalism degree at Solent University, for example, there's going to be, and you are one of 50 in your year, there may be another 10 or 12 or 15 universities also doing similar degrees, maybe not the same, but similar. And again, there might be another 30, 40 students. So you might be in a pool any one year of what, 400, 500 students that are coming out the end of it with a bit of paper that says, hey, look at me, I've got a sports journalism degree. Well, okay, great lovely and what else and what else have you done and and, and 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 what else can you show me have you got a portfolio of cuttings have you got um, a whole link of um, uh, a whole, whole batch of links of, of, of audio that you've done have you contributed for this that and the other and you're quite right you know the non-league football teams lower league football teams um, are crying out for people to be able to to get involved almost always a voluntary position but often they will give you a couple of quid if you've had to go, you know, up the M3 to another local game or whatever. They, they tend not to allow people to be out of pocket, but you certainly don't make money from it. But at uh, Solent University, for example, we run the Eastleigh Media Football, uh, the, the Eastleigh Football Club media team. Beg your pardon, words in the wrong order. Uh, we, uh, we run the Eastleigh Football Club media team. So we have um, eight or nine students across our second and third year that do all the key tasks. Now they're, they're overlooked by sort of like a head of media role, who incidentally is one of our graduates, who incidentally was part of the media team and then was right place, right time when they came to appoint a, a head of media. But they're a tier five team in the National League, looking to be in the Football League, looking to make sure that they've got a good social media presence, looking to make sure that they look like a good quality Football League team. And you know what? It's all produced, or largely all produced, by our students, their social media content, or their filming, the interviews with the players and managers beforehand, everything on Instagram, everything on Snapchat, everything on Twitter, everything on their Facebook channel, on their YouTube channel, it's all produced by students still studying on the sports journalism degree at Solent University. It's a fantastic opportunity and a fantastic place for them to perfect their skills. I didn't know that. That's really interesting. I often go and watch Eastly. So now, now I know when I'm following their social media, it's you guys that are doing it. It's all our students. It's all our students. And these are not students who have graduated. These are current second and third year students. So before we leave, we always ask if anyone's got any funny stories. You must have had a few, especially, as you say, during the early days of working with Saints going out on the on the town. I actually have a funny story of one of the Saints players. Apparently, he shouldn't have been going out on the night of a game. And uh, I won't say I won't say the player or the manager, but apparently he was going out and he was having a good time and they shouldn't have been out, the players. 
And so they went out and they uh, suddenly realised that one the, the manager was stood right next to them. So they thought they were going to get in a lot of trouble. But apparently the manager was so drunk at the time, he didn't even realise it was them. It was quite a big drinking culture back then. Mm-hmm. There are many, many good stories. There's, there's many that I would tell behind closed doors. Um, Ones that you because... can say to us right now. Okay, let, 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 let's, let's pick a really nice one, a really nice, jolly, cosy one. And that was, um, trying to remember the season. So uh, Saints were in danger of being relegated from the championship. Gone... <laughs> Which year was that? Saints <laughs> exactly. over... exactly. It was yeah. a season they didn't go down. Um, so um, they'd been through a couple of managers um, and it got to about February and they appointed Nigel Pearson as manager um, and he came in and straight away he was all about the work ethic get the players fit get them working really really hard um, you know he's not going to make them world beaters overnight but if they can be organized and if they can and work hard then they're within a chance of, of staying in the championship um, seem to remember Stern John was playing up front alongside others um, he did a good job, scored, actually. He did. He did a good job, and he scored quite um, uh, a lot of goals. Um, uh, incidentally, as a bit of an aside, Stern John is now the manager um, of an island in the Caribbean, um, uh, Anguilla. And one of my former students, a guy called Luke Augustus. Hi, Luke. Um, he was actually working at the Daily Mail. He's one of the um, assistant sports editors at the Daily Mail Online. Uh, fantastic footballer, footballer, lovely, lovely guy. Um, his um, his grandparents uh, came to the UK from Anguilla, and um, and Luke can handle himself on a football field. Really, really good player. And uh, there was a call out about a year, eighteen months or so ago, um, when Stern John took charge of um, uh, of the national team for basically people that could qualify and that could handle themselves on a pitch. Um, and, and Luke always played to a fairly decent level. Um, he was sort of on the board, on, on, on the cusp of being accepted into a couple of academies in the London area, uh, professional, you know, Fulham, Arsenal, Spurs, Watford, I think a few others. Um, he didn't quite make the grade, came to university, did a degree, loving life, really super guy. Um, but he can still play a little bit. So um, he went through various different trials for the national team. Um, and uh, he's knocking on the door. One of our graduates are playing international football. That's a bit of an aside story. That just happened to pop into my mind because of Stern John. But anyway, back to um, uh, Saints staying up or hoping to stay up in the championship. Um, Nigel Pearson came in as manager, and the players worked really, really hard. Um, and on the last day, I seem to remember it against Sheffield United, actually, um, uh, they needed to, to win. Um, to stay up. Sheffield United needed to win to get a place in the playoffs. A real end-to-end game. Saints ended up winning. I think it was 3-2. They stayed up. And then it was a case of, okay, celebration. Into town. We went on the the pitch that day as well. I remember it. That's right. Um, And afterwards, uh, everyone went into town and um, and a, a, a part of a bar or a bar had been sort of cordoned off for, for, for Saints and the players. And all the players came in and we were having a really, really good time. Um, and then um, Nigel Pearson came in and basically there was a bit of a, a lull and music sort of stopped. And he pulled out his credit card and he said, the drinks are on me. So literally he put his card behind the bar and the rest of the night, all the drinks were on um, 
um, were on Nigel Pearson. And up until that point, you had seen a manager that was very focused, very dedicated, very determined to do the job. But, you know, on that night of celebration, he let his hair down. There were smiles, there was hugs, there was laughter, all that sort of stuff. And interestingly enough, in that bar that night, um, I remember looking round and, and, um, and, and seeing someone sort of sitting in the corner, not being able to drink because he wasn't old enough. And that player was Adam Lalana, who had had a breakthrough season. And he was sitting there, not even 18, so obviously not being able to drink, sitting there drinking Coke, while the rest of us were, you know, lagers, bitters, wines, shots, everything, celebrating the fact that Saints had stayed in the championship. Uh, the funny thing is, is, I wanted Nigel Pearson to get the job the next year, but he obviously, I think he went on to other things. And the year after, I think we went down. So, but he was he was a good manager. He still is a good manager. He yeah, he is. He is. I mean, you know, he's maybe not for everyone. Um, but at that time, he was kind of starting out on his coaching journey. And uh, he did a fantastic job. And I think had there not been a little bit of a friction between the then chairman and him or his agent or whatever... Um, who knows, he may well have got the job and, and, and maybe, but you know, you, you don't know, do you? Um, you know, there's all sorts of tales in the, in the history of Southampton Football Club, you know, Glenn Hoddle almost came and, and took over for a second time, but there was uproar and so they didn't give him the job, they gave it to somebody else instead, you know, it's... Oh, it's, I didn't know it, that, I didn't yeah. know that, there you go, so he, yeah. we nearly employed him a second time, did we? Yeah, yeah, so if you remember, he'd been the manager and then he'd gone to Saints, uh, gone to Spurs gone rather. Spurs. Um, and then he'd been let go at Spurs and Saints were in desperate need of a manager. Um, they, um, um, they were, uh, uh, Gordon Strachan had left. Um, yeah. And the oh, board... Was that when we all... probably took on Paul Sturrock? It would have been after yeah, that then. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, the, the board wanted to, um, to, to rehire Glenn Hoddle. The contract was written. Um, Glenn Hoddle was ready to sign it. Um, and in fact, I think he might have even been sitting in the then chairman Rupert Lowe's front room, ready to sign it. And he got a phone call from someone else on the board saying, you know, the fans are up in arms. If we um, re-employ Hoddle, uh, who was called a Judas for walking out on Saints at the time, um, a couple of years prior, previously, um, if we if we rehire him, there'll be uproar. So we can't do it. So basically pull the plug. And that was it. The, the contract was torn up and, and uh, he walked away. And then, as you say, other people were employed that maybe perhaps didn't do the job that they needed to do and so on and so on and so forth and relegation and administration and bloody bloody blah, blah, blah. But, you know, would that have happened anyway? Who knows? It's difficult to see. But these are these sliding door moments in life. Yeah, one they? more question actually for you because I think sometimes with, with football clubs we feel the football commentator is, is you know, often the spokesperson for the club and is fed information and, and, and told to say certain things and is often you know, told to back the club and he feel as though he, he can't question the board, the commentator or anything like that because he'll lose his job. Did you find that when you were at Saints? Did you find as though you had to always support Rupert Lowe and be very careful in questioning anyone involved in the club? Yeah, I mean, it was slightly different for me because I was working for a, fo- a radio station that's actually employed by the club. Exactly, even more um, so, yeah. Yeah, so it was it was pretty tricky for me to go on air and, you know, and say, you know, out with Rupert, out with the board, all this sort of stuff. Um, but actually, to his credit, um, he always, when when he became involved and he was aware of what we were doing, he always said, look, you know, if there's criticism to be had, I don't mind you criticising. It was, you know, criticism wasn't off limits at all. 
you know, if the team weren't playing well, we were able to say, obviously, the team weren't playing well. If we questioned a managerial appointment, we were able to question it. In actual fact, I would suspect we probably had more leeway then than some in-house media have these days. Um, he was, he, he was, he was actually, you know, in my experience and only my experience, because I'm sure there's people that, you know, um, didn't like him as a chairman and didn't like what he was doing, whatever. But my experience of him was always very, very good and very, very positive. And he was very, um, although he was um, accused of not spending, well, you know, there's plenty of yep. chairmen and owners of clubs that are accused of not spending. One thing that he did do was create the foundation of the Saints Academy that over the course of the last 10, 15 years has produced, um, a, you know, a whole raft of players, right from you know, Gareth Bale, Adam Lallana, Dexter Blackstock, Leon Best. You know, the, the list has gone on and on and on right through to, you know, the current um, kids that come off the production line. So he was very instrumental in, in isolating funds to be able to build um, facilities for the um, for the academy players and to develop that academy um, that academy quality. So, you know, to that end, he, he definitely does deserve credit. But you know, you could argue that perhaps somewhere along the line made some rogue decisions as well. Well, Will, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Really enjoyed having you on, and uh, make sure we keep in touch. Absolutely. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, James. Thanks for listening to the Life in Football podcast. Make sure you follow the podcast to get future episodes as soon as they are released. We would also really appreciate a review and follow us on Twitter at Life in Footy.